Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. As Stephen Corbett mentioned at the start of our, our worship service, we are focusing our hearts, we have been ever since Easter, uh, as, a, as a church family, on all the, the many ways that the resurrection makes a difference in our daily lives. We talked about seeing each other with new eyes. We talked about listening, really listening to one another with new ears. And this morning, we're, we're thinking about and talking about what it means to be people who are now equipped to reach out in new ways. You know, we, we can't live our lives only seeing and hearing. At some point, we really do have to, to reach out and touch one another, whether that's shaking hands for the first time or whether that's joining hands to do something that's important but big enough that we can't do it on our own. And so we, we reach out and we, we join forces. Sometimes it's with people we know well, sometimes that's with people we don't know as well, and yet we know that, that community gives us an opportunity to make an impact that we simply can't make alone. Whatever the reason, we, we find the courage at different times in our lives to kind of push past those personal comfort zones that we, we sometimes protect at all costs in order to trust and believe that God can do something through us with one another that are beyond our imaginations, right? In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about what, what does it look like for us in a world where, where it's difficult to share at times? What, what would it mean for us to share not only space, but to share our lives? If you've got a Bible, please open up to Romans chapter 12. We'll be starting in verse 16 together. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think that you are superior. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and here he quotes from Proverbs, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Martin Luther King Jr., someone in our, our national history who knew something about the challenges we face when we try to to share space and life in a world with radically different people once said, peace is not merely the absence of some negative force, war, tension, confusion, but it is the presence of some positive force, justice, goodwill, the power of the kingdom of God. Now, if you, you ask anybody if they're for world peace, they'll tell you they are. Conversation with anybody from any background that wouldn't say that they, they believe in, that they want to work towards world peace, breaking out all over the place, right? But the, the challenge is that we all know from experience that really making peace means a lot of really hard work. And so we think about it. We actually, I think, talk about it less than we think about it, and we take steps towards it less than we talk about it. So we all know that it's important. We, we all believe that it's something that, 
that we should be striving towards, but it, it takes so much work, and it seems like such a challenge. I mean, I mean, think about it in your life. You have never, you've never seen it. You've never experienced it. You've seen it and experienced it in places, in, in certain churches, in certain families, in certain groups. But even in those circumstances, it's usually temporary. Right? It's usually because things are going relatively easy. But when things aren't going easy, peace, let alone world peace, any kind of peace, is pretty difficult for us to figure out how to, how to experience and to give to one another. I mean, really making peace means caring about other people and their needs more than you care about your own. Really making peace means uh, finding a way to, to help somebody, even if it's very costly to you. Really, really making peace means that you have to say no to getting every single thing you could possibly ever want in this world and in this life. Really making peace it takes creative acts of imagination and inventive acts of intelligence and honest acts of confession. I mean, that sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. And so we think about it and we wrestle with it and we decide that while it would be really, really nice for us to, to work towards peace, that we're just not going to worry about anybody else. We're going to worry about ourselves. We're going to focus on our lives. We're going to try to get all of that in order. And then maybe if, if, if we could get our life in order and everybody else would focus on getting their life in order and pulled together, then peace will just happen. But that is not the kind of life that you and I were created for. We, we are not created for that kind of individualism. I know it's tempting, but it's not what we were created for. Christian author Eugene Peterson talks about individualism in this way. He says, individualism is the growth-stunting, maturity-inhibiting habit of understanding growth as an isolated self-project. Let that sink in for a second. The individualist is the person who is sure that he or she can love neighbors without knowing their names, the person who assumes that getting ahead involves leaving other people behind, the person who, having gained competence in knowing people, uses that knowledge to take charge of people. Now, Peterson's not, not saying that we aren't at some level individuals. He's saying that we aren't built to only be individuals. And the thing that Paul relentlessly insists upon over and over again, and especially in Romans chapter 12, is that, is that the life of faith, right, the Christian life, is never supposed to be something we do all on our own, all by ourselves. It is never just an individual endeavor. It's not a solo sport any more than, than any part of your life is. I mean, think about it. We simply cannot exist on our own. We can't come into being on our own. We can't survive as infants on our own. We can't learn to talk on our own. We can't learn to sing on our own. We can't learn to love on our own because you need someone to love. And that's just the very beginning. There isn't anything that's deep and true about life that you and I are able to experience or reach simply on our own. We are dependent upon others reaching out to help us and not harm us. 
before we even take our first breath. We are that connected. And that makes things difficult. Because it's not like you and I are connected to all the people in the world who are the easiest to share life and space with. How, how do we say it sometimes? You don't get to choose your family. Right? It, it's, it's not a simple thing to admit somewhere deep in our hearts that we understand just how dependent we are on other people, especially when we live in a world and in a culture that says that the whole point of maturing and growing up is to reach a place where you don't need anyone else anymore. And, you know, I think the difficulty there is Christianity, a relationship with Jesus, is supposed to help us understand that it that the maturity isn't reaching a place where you don't need anyone anymore. Maturity is actually reaching a place where you can, in full honesty, say, I need you to be me. I need God to be me. We need one another to be who God wants us to be. To make that declaration, to make that confession, and not to feel like you're saying something that's embarrassing or something that you should be ashamed of. You should never expect to outgrow your need for God or your need for God's community. You know, people say all the time, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right? I, the only relationship I need in my life is a relationship with God, which is convenient because God is much easier to be with than God's people at times. But how do you become who God wants you to be, patient and kind and forgiving, if you're always with people who never give you any reason to have to learn how to be patient and kind and forgiving? I mean, that person who annoys you the most in this room, they are helping you become more like Christ. In order for us to experience the power of the resurrection in our daily lives, we're going to need to allow Jesus, in spite of all of our differences, and there are very real differences. We've got to let Jesus bring us together to, to unite us, even in a world that in all kinds of ways is giving us good reason to, to keep, keep our lives and our hearts and our dreams at a distance. I mean... The peace that, that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 12, it's not, it's not just the, the absence of some negative force, right? It's the, it's the presence of a positive force. It's the, the peace that, that Paul is talking about. It's not just you and I living and let live. It's, it's not just you and I saying, look, you have the right to be whoever you want to be, and I'll just, you, I won't tell you how to live your life, and you don't tell me how to live my life. We'll just tolerate each other, and we'll, how we'll, we'll define peace is... I won't kill you if you won't kill me. That's not the peace Paul's talking about. And, and it's, not, it's not even a peace that can only come on the other side of us getting even. Right? Paul says, you think you know how to get even. You, you might think you know how to fix somebody else who hurt you or let you down or betrayed you. But God and God alone knows how to correct people how to wake them up, how to, how to call them to something more. So leave room for God to do that work. He says, don't, don't try to overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. And that's hard for us 
Because I think there's times where like, we think that we can overcome somebody that, that we don't understand or somebody we don't agree with by wielding our conviction as a weapon. And we beat them up with it. And then we ask them to stay in the community with us or to step into the community. Maybe they aren't even a part of it yet. And we're saying, look, I'm right and you're wrong. And as long as we can agree on that, you're welcome to be here. That's not what Paul's talking about. And, and, and Paul says, look, when you open your heart up to vengeance or, or revenge or trying to get even, it's, that's not going to heal what's wrong with, with us. That's not going to heal what's wrong between us. It's just not. And then he says something, and I find it interesting, that I looked through about 15 different commentaries that, that basically ended up having to explain that when Paul talks about, he quotes from Proverbs, and it says, you know, look at the people in, in this world. Look at the people in your life who, who you're enemies with, whether that's because you see them as enemies or they see you as enemies. And he quotes from Proverbs and says, be good to them. Right? Feed them when they're hungry and give them something cool to drink when they're thirsty. And then this phrase in, in Proverbs is, and by doing so, you will heap hot coals on their head. And all of these Christian writers have to say, now wait a second, before you think that Paul's giving you permission in a passage about peace to kill somebody with kindness, that's not what he means. Now, doesn't that say something about us, that we'd be reading a passage about living at peace with other people, and the second there's, there's a phrase that sounds like we might be hurting them through our niceness, we're attracted to that possible meaning? That's not what Paul's talking about. That the imagery in Proverbs, the imagery when Paul quotes it, is not that, that we would do something nice, all the meanwhile underneath our actions strategizing to somehow get back at them through being nice to them. Paul's saying, look, here, here's what's amazing. If you'll stop trying to get even, if you'll stop trying to punish people for all the things that you think you're equipped to punish them for, if, if instead what you'll do is show them completely and totally undeserved acts of kindness that something just might start to happen to them. That it will change them. That, and here's the imagery, right? That, that your acts of kindness will cause their conscience to burn, right? That, that they will, they'll realize all those things they've been doing are wrong. You're not going to be the one who, who does that to them. Their own conscience will flare up inside of them, and they will realize that there's a different, better future waiting for, for all of us, right? That somehow in doing undeserved acts of, of compassion for other people, we open up the, the possibility that instead of seeing us as someone who's against them, they will start to see us as somebody who is good and decent, even if they disagree with us, even if they don't understand us, that we're good and decent people who aren't manipulative, who aren't trying to act one way while we feel another, and that somehow they will start to believe that even though they don't agree with us now, and maybe they won't ever agree with us, that they will still find a way to trust us. The only way, the only Christian way I know of to overcome an enemy is by treating them in such a way that they, they become our friend. 
Don't think that you're superior, Paul tells us. I, I don't know too many people that walk around and say, you know, I'm superior to you. But they say it anyway. They say it through their actions. They say it through the distance they keep. Associate with people, Paul says, that are in a low position, right? Don't, don't think of yourselves as better than anybody. And, and if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on us, God expects us to try our very best to live at peace. And not just with people that we already want to live at peace with but especially the people that we don't have a clue how we're going to find a way to live at peace with them. Look, I, I think that this is one of the most honest statements in all of Scripture about how complicated it is to reach a place of peace. Because peace is relational. Right? We, we cannot be reconciled to somebody who does not want to be reconciled to us, but we can try. And we can try again, and we can try again, and we can try again. And it may never work. That's the, that's the honesty that Paul's laying out here. You may try your hardest over and over again to, to reach peace with somebody in your life, and it just isn't going to work. But if that's the case, it better be because they stopped trying and not because you stopped trying. That's hard. You know, I find myself thinking of Peter saying, okay, Fine, you want me to forgive a bunch of times. Can you give me an exact mathematical number? Because once I pass that number, I'm done. We reach that place with people. Sometimes we reach that place with the people that we're closest to in our lives where we just say, I, it's not that I don't get along with you. It's that I, I don't even know how to want to get along with you. That, that the future that I'm envisioning is a future where you're far away from me, where we don't have to make peace because we don't ever have to share life or share space anymore. And Paul says, no, that isn't what Jesus lived and died and rose again for. No, that's, that's not resurrection life. That's settling for something that's, that's not what we were created for. Resurrection life isn't a matter of us just tolerating one another. It's not just managing not to hurt each other. Resurrection life gives us a peace that changes us in a way where, where even in the past, if we were primarily defined by, by selfish desires and, and personal agendas and, and special interests that we were always concerned about, if that's who we used to be, because we are resurrection people, because we're Easter people, we now understand that our identity is not caught up in our special interests and our agendas and what we want no matter what anybody else needs, right? That's not who we are. We find our identity in, in Christ. We find our identity together as shared citizens in Christ. That's who we are. That is our agenda. That's what we want. That's what we live for. And it's a life that we must learn to live together. Where, where before, we might have to honestly say we're basically just trying to build our own separate lives as best we can, that now, because we belong to, to church, because we belong to the community that Jesus gave his life for, that, 
it's not that we have these separate lives that we're building, but that our lives are now somehow being built together through God's goodness and grace. When we allow Jesus to, to step into our lives and to tear down the walls between us and join our, our hearts and our lives together, when we allow Jesus to, to lead us in a way of peace in a world that is dying for the lack of peace, power of the kingdom of God comes. God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't, I can't speak for you, but, I, and I know it's going to take an incredible amount of work, but I want to, I want to experience that life. And I don't want to just experience it for me. I want us to experience that life together. My friend, Sarah Barton, uh, shares a story about her friend, Rick Gibson, and Rick's story, I think, helps us imagine what it might start to look like for us to overcome some of those differences that, that could easily divide us if we let it. And of all the communities that sometimes divide over heartbreakingly silly things, churches can find themselves in that place. So Rick tells this story about a, a woman named Evelyn Clark. She was a, a member of a, a congregation in Southern California that was close to Pepperdine University, and uh, she, she worked together with that church to support lots of Pepperdine students, and she was just somebody everybody in that church looked up to and respected, and, and her voice carried a lot of weight. And in this church, in the, in the early 1990s, they were trying to figure out, in a, in a neighborhood surrounding the church that was rapidly changing, how they could be faithful to God's mission of reaching out. Right? They, they want to find a way to connect with a lot of children and young people that are in this neighborhood. And so the, the leadership of the church starts to decide, we, we need to do some things that that will really reach these kids. And these kids don't know anything about church. They don't know the unspoken rules about the congregation. And so we're going to have to, in order to be hospitable, in order to welcome them, we're the ones who are going to have to make some changes. And so they, they, they start to decide, well, one of the things that, that the students around their church seem to really like is music. And, and so they, they develop a musical, and so that involved music and, and choreography. We won't say dancing. Choreography and, and singing and all that kind of stuff. And so there, were, there was a group of people at the church that started getting really uncomfortable with this. And they, they didn't really have a way to talk about it. But one day, Rick is at a potluck, and so he sees this, this table of older people sitting together, and he's, he's close enough he can overhear them talking. And he hears, uh, he hears one of the ladies mention something that she's seen that has to do with the church trying to reach these young people that really bothers her. And she says, I don't know if the rest of you have noticed, but we now have a soda machine in the fellowship hall. And if we're putting money in a machine to get sodas, you know we're going to have slot machines next. Because you know that's a natural next step. And so this <laughs> slippery slope argument of soda machines turning into slot machines plays out at this table of 80-somethings. And there's a lot of in my day, and, and somebody says something about Jesus and the money changers in the temple, and it just starts to pick up speed. 
And, and I guess the reason is that it's easier to complain about soda machines than it is, to be honest, that the teens who like the sodas are bugging you. Right? So let's talk about the sodas. Let's not talk about these, these new people at church that don't know our unspoken rules and are changing things and making our church feel different. So let's, let's talk about something else that we can talk about. Well, in the midst of all this, Evelyn Clark is sitting at the table. This small, tiny, elderly woman who's a giant in that church family. And she stands up, Rick says, and she, even when she stands up, you can barely see her at the tables. She's just so small. But she's regal. I mean, every hair is in place. She wears this beautiful string of pearls. Her dresses are always pressed and, and in style. I mean, she's a well-put-together 93-year-old. And she starts pounding on the table. And I mean, this goes against everything that everyone at that table expects from her. She starts hitting the table over and over and over again until everybody at the table stops talking. And then she does something that nobody ever forgot. She reaches up past those beautiful pearls and she grabs a piece of loose skin on her, her neck and pulls it as far as she possibly can. And Rick said, that was a long way. And she says, look at this. And she wasn't done. She lifts up her arm and she pulls the skin. And she says, look at this. Look at us. Look at us. We're dying. And this church is trying to reach out to young people. And yeah, they're doing things that we wouldn't do. And they're making decisions that we don't fully understand. But they're doing everything they can to reach new people for, for Christ. They, they're doing more and more to bring people into this kingdom. And I'm behind them. I'm going to stand behind them. Every church needs some Evelyn Clarks. Every church needs people who, in moments of petty disagreement, can have the courage to wake us up and say, would you look at us? Would you look at what we're doing? Do we really think that Christian unity is about getting together the largest group of people we can who share most of the same worship preferences? Do we really think that Christian community is gathering together the biggest group of people that we can manage to get together who all read the Bible exactly the same way for exactly the same reasons and always agree about what the Bible says about this right now in our lives? Do we really think that Christian unity is something that's optional? I'm almost done. We shouldn't just care more about people who aren't here yet. We should be giving our lives for people who aren't here yet. And I, I've been caught up in it just as much as anybody else. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking with you because I want you to know that there are times where I start to think that, that our unity, what holds us together, the peace of Christ, is something I can engineer, that I've learned enough about people as Peterson says, to take charge of people. 
to get them to do what I want, to go where I want them to go because I know better than you do. And maybe it's that none of us, none of us, when it's all said and done, has a clue. And so what we have to do week in and week out all the time is come back to God's word and open our hearts expecting to be changed, not expecting to back up what we already think we're going to find. And that when we go to scripture, we don't go to scripture primarily to make sure that we're right, but we go to scripture to find new ways to reach people that we don't yet know how to reach, to welcome people we don't yet know how to welcome, to be in people's lives that we don't know, we don't know how to get into their lives. And it could be because their lives scare us. It could be because their lives are overly complicated and we don't know a solution. It could be because we just straight up disagree with many of the things they do and many of the things they say. We don't have an option to say, I'll let somebody else work on peace. I'll let somebody else work on unity. That's not what any of us are allowed to do in the church. If we're going to be a part of this community, then all of us have the same calling. Of all, calling. all of us have the same destiny. To reach people who we, in all kinds of ways, were not like. And to trust that God will find a way to knit our hearts together, to, to call us to a community together, and it won't be because you and I figured out how to ignore all the things about one another that annoy us or we disagree with. It will be because we remember that of all the things that could divide us, Jesus and Jesus' love for us matters more. It matters more. And whatever ministry you're in, your ministry is to help somebody experience the truth that Jesus loves them. The peace that Paul talks about, it's, it's difficult for us, I think, to believe in. And it's easy for us to decide we're going to give up on. But that's not what you and I agreed to when we promised to follow Jesus. It's just not. We agreed to keep trying and to keep trying and to keep trying. And if we can't reach somebody, it better be because they walked away from us and never because we walked away from them. We can't be united the way Jesus hopes that we will be united when we avoid people who are challengingly different from us. We can't be united the way Jesus hopes we're going to be united when we keep people that we don't understand and can't control at arm's length. We cannot be united the way Jesus hopes we're going to be united if we will not extend a hand of fellowship when somebody needs that. If, if we won't offer a shoulder to cry on when somebody's hurting. If, if we won't offer a friendly embrace when somebody needs to be just enveloped in the sense of God's presence. We we can't be united the way Jesus hopes we're going to be united if, if we can't hold people up when they're starting to fall. And brothers and sisters, the reverse is true. We can't be united the way Jesus wants us to be united if we never reach out and take that hand that's extended to us, or we're too proud to cry on somebody's shoulder, or we, we refuse to take anyone's embrace or support, that, that we keep saying, no, 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 I don't need you to help hold me up, because that's not the truth. We all have times times that we may not ever want to talk about where the, the one thing we need more than anything else is for somebody to hold us up because we can't stand up on our own. 
this is, this is who we are. It's who we're created to be. And when we start to think that church is about us getting our way most of the time, and if we get our way most of the time, then we'll stay as members of a church, we have forgotten the truth. And you have plenty of options in a very small town. Right, if I preach a sermon you don't like, or if we sing a set of songs you don't like, there's 30 other churches you can pick from, and that's just in the churches of Christ. If you're really daring, there's all kinds of other churches out there. We're not here to get along through our own efforts. We're here to honor the truth that we are a community that Jesus died for. We're a family whose whole reason for existing is to bring more people into the family. That's who we are. The resurrection makes that possible. The resurrection doesn't guilt us into that. The resurrection doesn't try to force us into that. The resurrection makes that possible. And nobody ever in my life, including all of the pages of scripture, has ever suggested in any way that sharing space and sharing life is easy. I don't know why we're so surprised when it gets difficult. Nobody ever says that true community is easy. But I promise you, brothers and sisters, it is always worth it. It's always worth it. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives are going to be waiting to receive you. I'm going to ask those shepherding couples to stand now, if they would, and kind of give you a sense of where they'll be while we sing. If you want to talk about starting a relationship with Christ, baptism, if you want to talk about something in your life you want to pray over, if there's something great in your life going on that you just want to thank God for, uh, go to these, these couples as together we stand and sing.